But Palm Sunday and all that goes with it, the children in the palms and so forth, but I, I'm sorry to say some children just never grow up. Like Maria. But also like dear brother Joe Vigilante. He tried to hit me with his palm. You know, a spiritual giant and everything else, but I ducked, you know? There was the up-and-coming man with many friends who unfortunately had become paralyzed. The man's paralysis apparently was the result of the evil things he did in his life. Guilt may have been a factor in his disability. His friends brought him to Jesus, and surprising everyone but the man himself, Christ chose to forgive the man's sin before doing anything else. He kindly said, son, your sins are forgiven. Only afterwards did he heal his paralysis. And then there was the attractive woman who had married and divorced five times. She decided to live with the next man with whom she fell in love. She met Jesus at a well one day at noon. The men of that time would never initiate a conversation with a woman in public, but Christ did. The Lord seemed to know her whole life story, and she became convinced that he was a savior, God's savior. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Finally, there was the man whose dabbling in sinful practices connected to the occult resulted in evil supernatural demon possession. The man spent his time living in a cemetery, crying out and then cutting himself. When Jesus came to him, the demons made him afraid, but then the Lord removed the demons from him. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Ever notice how many times people are mentioned in the Gospels? I love reading stories about all of the individuals who come before us. We're going to talk about people today, and particularly the Lord Jesus Christ on this Palm Sunday morning. We're going to answer four questions. Four questions as we consider the topic. What two things are noteworthy when you think of Jesus? What was Palestine like when Jesus came and what did he do there? Number three, what happened on that first Palm Sunday and who was there? And lastly, why do people choose to welcome or resist Christ and what is the decision you must make about him? So for first... What two things are noteworthy when you think of Jesus? Well, I noticed two. First, his compassion and love for people. Jesus had two, two uh, compassion rather for two blind men. Matthew tells us two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. 
He had compassion on a man with leprosy, contagious leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and the man was cured. Jesus loved a man who wanted eternal life but loved his wealth too much. Mark says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a child. Jesus looked up at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At that, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, first, the Lord's compassion and love for people. It's all over the Gospels. That's just a sampling. But the second thing I notice is that from the very beginning, Christ had a commitment to give his life to save people from their sin. That was his mission. Right off the bat, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He called himself the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd. John tells us, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus said he would give his life to save people. The amplified version of Matthew 20, 28 is, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, paying the price to set them free from the penalty of sin. You want something stronger? Listen to the message, the paraphrase. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who were held hostage. I like that. So we see the Lord as one who is compassionate. We see the Lord who is committed to giving his life to pay for the sin to save people. So what was Palestine like, and what did Jesus do there? Palestine was very much like what we see around us today. Control of the government had been taken from the hands of the people. Religious leaders either cooperated with the government for power and money or focused on themselves at the expense of the people around them. No real religious leadership. Individuals and business people were taxed enormously while the tax collectors got rich. Terrorists were a very real threat, often assassinating people in the streets. No bombs, knives. Those with low morals were avoided by the religious leaders as sinners. Divorce was allowed for the most minor cases, largely favoring the husband. Disease was ever-present, as were cases of frightening supernatural possession. So the Lord had three years 
to work, to minister to the people in Palestine. What happened? What did he do? He was baptized by John the Baptizer, a person who called the people to repentance. Turn around. Repent. He miraculously healed all kinds of diseases from paralysis, as we saw, to blindness. He freed people from dangerous supernatural possession and raised three people from the dead, one of whom was Lazarus. He fed huge crowds of people, miraculously producing an abundance of food when he did. He spoke with various people at all levels of society, from Romans to non-Jews. He used stories called parables to teach people. And all of this living led to his sacrificial death on the cross to pay for our sin. He completed his mission. But we're at Palm Sunday. We're at the beginning of the week, his last week before the crucifixion. What happened there? What's most interesting is the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is reported four times. Each of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark through the eyes of Peter, Luke telling the story as a historian, and John who was there. If something's there multiple times, that usually means in scripture, pay attention, listen to it, read it, think about it. So what happened? Well, there was a road that ran from Jericho over the Mount of Olives, down the hill through the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem on the road from Jericho. There were some stops along the way. Jesus was preparing for his one and only public appearance. If you read the story in the Gospels, you see that Jesus often says, now, you go on home, don't tell anybody, just go to the priest and take care of what you need to take care of. Let's go apart. There's too much of a crowd here. Let's go away to the wilderness. This time, he's going to do something grand. He's going to present himself as king and Israel's Messiah at the same time on this Palm Sunday. They stopped near the villages of Bethany and Bethpage, Phage, rather, I should say. Christ asked two of his disciples to go and to get a donkey and a colt, mother and a colt, and bring them to him. Told them what to say when they were questioned. Christ knew. The two disciples brought the animals to Jesus and put their garments on them to act as a saddle. Now, historically, the donkey was the animal used by Jewish kings not a white horse, but a donkey. Matthew says what happened that day fulfilled combined prophecies from Isaiah and Zechariah. Listen to what Matthew says. He's quoting the past, the prophecy. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There were a lot of disciples there. They met him at the top of the Mount of Olives. Big crowds of people. And they were celebrating and praising the Lord. They spread their garments on the road. 
That had been done in the past to honor a Jewish king. They took down branches from the trees, including our own palm branches. That symbolized salvation and pictured the royal future of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the road goes to the crest, and then it goes downhill toward the Kidron Valley. They began praising God. And what I like is they did it loudly. You know, sometimes, you know, that's, that's a little too loud. I'd play music that wasn't Christian music. My parents would say, turn that, turn that down just a little bit, okay? But it's great to just let it go, to praise the Lord and sing like we do here. The multitudes of the disciples walked before and behind him. Those in the front, look who's coming, the king. And those in the back, listen to him, praise the Lord. And what do they say? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in Hebrew means Save now. Save now. Hosanna. One commentator I read said that the very palms were called Hosannas because of the fact that it, the connection with the worship and praise of the Lord. The Pharisees were there too. The naysayers. Those who never liked Christ in the first place. They wouldn't listen to him. They were too jealous. And they told Jesus, especially when children started praising the Lord. Don't you hear that? Can't you stop them? Rebuke them. And Christ said something very interesting. If he rebuked them, he said, the stones themselves would cry out. That's our God. Jesus looked at Jerusalem as he rode the animal going downhill. And the expanse of Jerusalem showed in front of him. He was heading right toward the gate that would open toward the temple. I remember seeing a, a film on an IMAX screen. And they wanted to give you the sense of what Jerusalem looked like. And so they had a helicopter, and I don't know where it was hidden from. It may have been on the other side of the Mount of Olives. But all of a sudden, the camera and the helicopter, and it came up, and you saw, like in a shock, all of the city in front of you. Maybe that kind of sense. So what does Jesus do at that point? Does he shout and say, isn't it wonderful? I'm your king. Welcome me. He starts to cry. Jesus wept over the city while the people cheered. Now, the Greek term for weep here means intense sobbing, not merely shedding tears. He was overwhelmed with grief. Not just a few tears in your eyes when you watch a movie that makes you cry, but heartfelt sorrow for what would happen to those people who would resist him. How many people were there that day? Probably because of Passover, about two million people were in Jerusalem, many from outside. 
When he entered the gate into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Literally, the city was shaken by what was happening. The crowds of his disciples, including the 12, the crowds that came from Galilee, the crowds that were in Jerusalem, those people who were faithful to him. The 12 disciples were there, the believers from Galilee. And it says they were there because they saw his miracles. But it was not just a dog and pony show. It was not just, wow, isn't that cool? America's funniest videos. It wasn't that. It was that they saw that this one was genuine. He had that same compassion and love that we read about. And they wanted him. They wanted what he had to offer. The miracles got their attention, but they became followers of the Lord. There were also those there that celebrated who saw Lazarus actually raised to life. And they were just overwhelmed. Loose him and let him go when he came out of the tomb, wrapped in the tomb garments. And there were those who resisted. The people who lived in Jerusalem who were only motivated by curiosity. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him, John tells us. Well, let's see what he looks like. I hear he raised some guy to life. And then people who had no clue. Matthew, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city asked, who is this? Who is it? And lastly, the religious leaders who I said wanted no part of him. So the Pharisees said to one another, John tells us, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. They didn't know want him. So that day you had to divide. Some people chose to welcome him, to worship him, to follow him, to believe him. And others, for one reason or another, disinterest, lack of real interest, or anger and hatred of him. Those who accepted Christ wanted his peace and forgiveness. They knew he loved them. You can tell when someone genuinely cares about you. It's very special. It's very accepting. It's very welcoming. They knew he would pay for their sin because that's what he talked about. I'm the shepherd. I'm going to give my life to the sheep. I'm the lamb of God who's going to be sacrificed for you. And like that young man who was paralyzed, somehow sin had taken over his life. Yeah, he wanted to be healed, but he also wanted to be forgiven. The old statistic, I'm sure, rings true today. People who, have been treated, who are treated in mental hospitals, doctors say, if they could believe that they were forgiven, 60% of them perhaps, they could be discharged and go home. Never forgiving themselves carrying the guilt with them forever. 
these people who accepted Jesus Christ, who welcomed him, in fact, welcomed him as a king. That's interesting. You can believe anything you want, but how committed are you to that person, to that idea? Will you follow the king? These people had said yes. Peace, forgiveness, we'll follow him. He will be our king. But those who resisted him didn't want peace or forgiveness. They didn't want any of this. They believed they needed no help with their lives. You know people like that. I made it so far. I'm no better than the worst. I don't need any help. They didn't concern themselves about their sin. So what? Everybody does it. It's okay. They don't care if they hurt people. They don't care if they do these things that people consider wrong. Not my concern. And they didn't care about the consequences of resisting him. Jesus had warned the people of Jerusalem that the time was coming when their city would be destroyed. Many lives would be lost. And just as many then didn't care that a day of reckoning was coming, these people who resisted didn't care either. It'll never happen to me. My uncle wanted to avoid even the thought of death. And he particularly avoided going to funerals, funeral homes. He didn't want to deal with it. He didn't feel like it was important to him. But sadly, I saw him in his hospital bed before he died. He couldn't even speak. He just kept looking at me and my parents. Sad. But, you know, it didn't matter then. And he let it go. What is the decision you have to make about him? You may be sitting here today thinking to yourself, not me. I'm, I, I'm really not into Christ. I, I, religion, yeah, well, I, you know, it's Palm Sunday, so I came, but I'm not really into these things. I'm much like the people there. You know, sin, yeah, okay. Future, yeah, okay. But I invite you to keep in mind some things for those thinking about resisting Jesus. J.C. Ryle in his commentary on Luke says, Jesus speaks like one to whom all things are open, like one whose eyes are everywhere, like one who knew unseen things as well as visible things. Jesus knows that you're thinking about resisting him, even this morning. Remember that Jesus is the only way to peace and forgiveness. Oh, we've got a lot of choices. Love going to a buffet. You can pick out anything you want. And unfortunately, that's the way we are about how we live our lives and what religion or person should be our God. 
Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The New Century Version has that same verse. Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save people. We must be saved through him. So if you're resisting, realize Jesus is your one ticket home. Don't forget that Jesus warned of future consequences if you resist him. For the people of the day, they and their families would be killed or carried away, their city and their homes destroyed. It's worse for us as we think about today. We'll be facing judgment. We'll be called to the principal's office, and there'll be a settling. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that, the judgment. There will be a reckoning. You know, we see the horrible things that happen in this world. We're so glad when an evil person is arrested or, or killed even, and we think, justice. But, you know, there is that feeling in us for justice, so God is saying, don't forget, you will be judged as well. There'll be punishment for our sins. Well, I thought Jesus died to pay for my sins. I thought he wanted to save people. Yeah, but you have to say yes. You have to take advantage of his offer. This is a scary thought. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Understand that being a good person does not score you into heaven. If your name is not in the book of life, if you've not welcomed Jesus in your life and made him king, you're just there to be sentenced based on what you did. And then Luke 12, 5, but I will show you whom you should fear, Jesus said. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I'm not trying to scare you, or maybe I am. I remember my time at Chase in the city at 1 Chase Manhattan Plaza. The days after the planes hit the towers. I was out of the city at the time, out on Long Island, but eventually after things were made a little more habitable, we came back to our building. And I remember attending a prayer meeting among the corporate executives and people of the bank in the back office in a small room, and I saw people exalted and lower and they prayed together about the future. 9-11 scared a lot of people. And as the old TV show used to say, scared straight. So am I trying to scare you? Yeah, maybe. If you're still thinking about resisting, think of Jesus. He comes to us gently 
and is weeping over if you over you if you are considering rejecting him. Do you believe that? One of the things the prophecy said from Zechariah that was that he would come gently. And right now that's what he's doing. He's not beating you up to tell you, hey, you either follow me or else. He's saying, listen, please come to me. Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Get this. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Patient. Still hanging on, still resisting. You've got to go one way or the other. That's the decision I said at the outset. You need to make that decision. The two disciples picked up the donkey and the colt at a place called the two ways. That's not in most translations, but in a literal translation it says, and they went away and found the colt tied at the door without by the two ways, and they loose it. Two ways. You're given a choice today to welcome him or resist him. The Lord said, come to me, all who, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. That's what it's all about. Good. Understand. Maybe next week, maybe Easter, maybe, maybe in the summer, maybe I'll wait. And Paul reminds us, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do it now. Make this a Palm Sunday where you will really welcome him into your heart and life. For those who want to or are welcoming Jesus, what do you do? You accept his sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sin. You appropriate it. You've just won publisher's sweepstakes. They bring the big check out to your house. And you say, don't answer the door, honey. I don't want to deal with salespeople. Come in, come in, come in. Yes, Kathy, that's true. You need to submit yourself to him as your king. This is not just random belief. This is commitment. You need to tell others the good news. And it is good news. Peace, rest, forgiveness, direction, love, compassion, and a future. And here's an odd one. Weep and grieve over those who are even contemplating resisting Jesus. You ever cry over someone who doesn't seem to get it? Refuses to take it? The story is told of a doctor who called a man into his office and told him, the tests I ran on you showed that you have a very deadly disease. The man looked at the physician in shock and disbelief. The doctor quickly added, but I have here in my hand the very medicine I need to cure you completely. If you are willing, he added, I will administer the needed dosage, dosage right now. Mm -hmm. 
yes, yes. Palm Sunday, it's a wonderful time, time of fun and enjoyment, but also a time, the one time of the year particularly, Palm Sunday particularly, that we can think about such hard things. They scare us, but he's the one way, he's the only way, and we avoid a lot of difficulty and pain and judgment in the future. It's incredible. If you've never received Christ as Savior, as we pray, you have a little transaction with the Lord privately. Lord, I believe Jesus Christ died for me. He paid for my sin. I want that. I accept that. And yes, I want you to be king of my life. I want you to lead me from now on. And it's done. And you live your life and you'll see that you'll start producing good fruit, good things in your life. Because God is with you. If you're a believer, feel that same kind of love and compassion he had for others. Feel the same kind of grief for those who are on the fence or have turned away. Let's close our time in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for all that happened on that Palm Sunday. We thank you for the whole span of your life here and the people that you spoke to. And, oh, Father even as Craig prayed before. What must it have been like? We thank you for coming. We thank you for riding into Jerusalem. We thank you for the great sacrifice of dying on the cross. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, for today, may there be those in the quietness between you and them where they accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, we pray that you would allow them to even share with, with Pastor Dick or any of the elders here or a good Christian friend what they've done. And Lord, help us as believers to have the same kind of love and care and even grief for those around us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Palm Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.